0: Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. Welcome to Struggle Care. I'm your host, Casey Davis, and we're going to talk about dogs today. What do dogs have to do with struggle care? Well, let me tell you, I decided to celebrate my kids finally all being in school by getting a puppy because I wasn't thinking. But we love our dog, and it's been such a journey, and it's definitely been a journey of figuring out how do I have a dog? When I have ADHD, when I have chronic fatigue, how do I raise this puppy to be a complementary part of our household? And so I reached out to four different trainers to talk about dogs and struggling and this idea that, you know, it's okay to have pets even if you have struggles in your life. And how can we look at dog ownership and dog training in a way that we can ensure that our dogs and ourselves have a good and mutually fulfilling partnership, even if we struggle. So enjoy the episode. Okay, I have with me right now, Ash Osborne, who is another dog trainer that I follow online that I love. Who's I love your content. Thank you for being here.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: So tell me about your first dog.
1: My first dog. Okay. So my first dog is Cody. He's still with me. He's 16. If I think too much about it, I cry. So I can't talk about now because he's too old. But I was 16 when I adopted him. I lived with my 20-something boyfriend, and he went and got this dog for me. I was in no way prepared to have a dog. Zero percent prepared to have a dog. Definitely not prepared to have this dog, who, if anyone knows anything about little terriers, they're not the easiest dogs. He ran away. The first day I brought him home, he ran away, was running through the streets for hours. We lived in a house where people were in and out all the time. Everybody, you know, it was a big party house and he would slip the door. I kid you not, probably three to four times a week. He ran away from home and was running around and everyone was chasing him down the street. He was having the time of his life. I'm sure he looks back on that very fondly. Me, not so much.
0: I love that story because one of the first things I asked you when we were talking before the recording was, you know, what do you say to people that are trying to think about like, you know, should I get a dog or like, am I giving a good enough life to my dog? Like, I think sometimes when people have an animal and they start to struggle and they start to go, oh gosh, am I like doing a disservice to my animal? And I love that your first answer was like, listen, life changes.
1: Yeah. Things change so much. And like, I think about then, and I think about if I had let people get to me that no one really said to me at that point, I wasn't surrounded by people who were like evangelical about dog ownership. Like, nobody was like, you need to get rid of this dog. Everyone was like, Yeah, he's kind of bad. (laughs) He's, He's just kind of a bad dog. My mom actually said to me like, you know, he's lucky he has you because I don't think anybody else would want that mean, ugly little dog. Like I don't think anyone else would want him. And now, you know, he's 16. We used to do barn hunt, which is a dog sport where you put, you train rats to go in these little PVC tubes. And the dog goes and finds them in bales of hay. And so not only did my life change enough that I was spending the hundreds of dollars it costs to go enter these competitions where your dog gets to root around in hay for two minutes. When he got, he had vestibular disease, like it's an idiopathic thing where he just has an issue with basically vertigo and it's really bad in the car. So I bought him rats so we could do it at home. So from the time that, you know, I got him and was the world's most inexperienced, didn't know what I was doing, literally the nightmare dog owner whose dog is running loose in the street. Granted, I wasn't going, he's friendly. I was going, please catch him. (laughs) (laughs) Can, Can you grab him? With tears streaming down my face. To somebody who has... These other these rats that now live their best life, because then, of course, now I have to invest hundreds and hundreds of dollars so that the rats can live their best <laughs> lives as well, so that he can play this game that he loves because he's 16 and can't be in the car anymore. Like your life can change so much, so drastically, especially if you're really young when you get your first dog.
0: You know, I love that that's your answer because one of the things that I wanted to ask you is, you know, if we're sitting and we're struggling and we're looking at our animal and we're looking at our dog in particular, like how do we know what is good enough for a dog? Whether we're, I guess, thinking about getting one or if we have one and we're wondering if we're doing them a disservice, like what is good enough?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think bare minimum is enough for now. And I, people get angry at me sometimes when I say that when I'm like are they fed are they watered did they are they not living in you know filth that is a biohazard to them that is good enough for now if I can look to a month from now and say you know I'm having a health flare up right now the most I can do for you is feed you water you keep you safe and clean and that's the most I can do right now maybe in a month I will be able to do more for you. And I think that when that drags on and it's okay, now it's been a year and there's no end in sight to this. And there's starting to be some adverse like mental health effects on the dog. You're starting to get stir crazy. You're starting to show these anxiety behaviors in the house. Then maybe we need to look at Am I in a place to financially afford somebody to help me with this? You know, that's always an option. But I think if we can provide the bare minimum and we can look forward and say, maybe I can do better in the future, I think that that's an okay thing to happen. It's okay to say right now, I'm doing what I can for you and I will try to do better when I have that when I have the spoons to do that.
0: Okay, so I'm here with Aaron Ng, who is a dog trainer that I follow on TikTok. I love your stuff and I really appreciate you coming on the podcast.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: So the reason why I wanted you to come on and talk about dog care on a podcast about struggle care is because I really love your philosophy of training. And I feel like it is a really good philosophy for somebody who is coming to owning a dog from a place of, hey man, like life isn't perfect and I really struggle sometimes and I need a manageable way to train a dog. So tell me about your philosophy in training.
2: So a big thing that I wanted to focus on when i First started training kind of early on. I figured out that I wanted to have an owner-focused training, something that I felt was missing from the industry. A lot of the people who train dogs are good at working with dogs and not as good at working with people. They kind of tend to put the dog first, and unfortunately, that's not real life. It would be nice if we all had time to take our dogs for three miles of hikes every day, but real life doesn't work that way. And so kind of coming up with a plan that focuses on making dog training easy, for the owners coming up with ways where i put i say uh, like a high output for a very low input on our end is very important stuff like that and also kind of stealing and like tempering the owner's expectations especially when it comes to things with like puppies and stuff and saying hey like this is going to get tough in the future it's nice now you know while the puppy is small and cute but eventually they'll do something and it's going to make you very angry and that's okay. And how do we deal with that and stuff like that? So that's kind of my focus and approach to dog training.
0: One of the things that I think is interesting, because I now follow a ton of dog trainers since getting a dog, is that you can definitely tell that there's like a type that becomes a dog trainer who has really hyper-focused on dogs and like what a dog is and how a dog thinks and what and like it's like their whole life is dogs and their whole focus is dogs and like it's really like once you go down the rabbit trail of like really hyper focusing on what is like the best, most optimal way to understand a dog, and the best, most optimal way to have a dog like live, like it never ends. Like you could go and go and go and go, right? And one example is just like you know when I want to decide like okay, what kind of dog food should I get, and I'm looking at the kibble, right? Like choose the kibble aisle, which kibble's best. But then you get into like actually they should be eating raw food, and actually not even raw food, but this kind of raw food, and actually it should be f-
2: locally sourced, organic, non-GMO, you know. <laughs>
0: (laughs) Okay, but I think that what you do really well that I think some trainers struggle with is separating out dog as a hobby and trainer as a
2: job. Two different things for sure
0: right like i think it's great if you're that person who's gonna serve you know i love the video where she's like and then she's gonna get a a chicken heart and an eyeball and you know locally sourced salmon and i'm like that's cool
2: that's yeah i love that for you love
0: that for you (laughs) love that for your dog i will not be doing that
2: exactly and uh, yeah i'm the same way i find that i get two types of clients. And one of them is the client that calls me in, kind of treats me almost like like a plumber or repairman where it's like, hey, I do not have time to deal with this. I don't have the skills. I don't have the want. I just want you to come in and fix it. But then I also get the hobbyists that are like, hey, I wake up and I walk my dog for three hours and then I come home at lunch and I walk my dog for another three hours and then I come home from work and just spend the rest of my day with my dog until I fall asleep on top of my dog. Like, you know, I get those two different types of clients and they need to be treated differently. And I think that that's another thing that's often missed in my industry a lot.
0: Yeah. And also like being honest about what kind of dog owner you are or will be like. So we actually I joke on my channel about how getting my dog was really spontaneous and it was. But we had been talking about getting a dog for a while, getting a puppy for a while. And I knew I wanted a puppy. I've got little kids and it was really important to me to kind of like shape and mold that puppy's experience around children. And then I saw one on Facebook and I went and got it. That part was spontaneous. My husband was like, oh, I didn't realize this was going to be now. And what's funny is like there are ways in which this dog has really been helpful to me and some of the things that I've struggled with. And I came into it thinking this is going to be hard. Like there are things that I struggle with with my ADHD. There are things that I struggle with chronic illness and fatigue and having little kids and being overstimulated. And so like obviously like throwing a puppy into the mix, there are going to be challenges. But what was interesting was I found that going outside, like I work from home, right? But taking these breaks to go outside a few times a day, I was like, wow, this is like helping. It's almost like
2: a little reminder that you need to get up and get out a little bit.
0: It helped a lot with my fatigue because like one of the things that's really aggravating about having chronic fatigue is that mild activity is really beneficial, in lifting some of that. Now you can't overextend or overdo it. So I'm not like taking long walks or exercising, but literally just standing in the backyard with my dog and throwing a ball or walking around and kind of like having something to do. It's been helpful with that. It helps with my ADHD just because it's like fun to focus on the puppy and do new things and have new projects. And so I remember thinking like, wow, like this dog's really making my life better in a way that I didn't expect.
2: And I, I love hearing that because I imagine that like having chronic fatigue and ADHD together is a really rough thing to manage because, you know, what reason do you have to get up and do just like a small amount of activity, right? Because ADHD is like, we need to be like efficient and get things done. And I feel like the, when you just need to get up and do something small, that's very difficult. And dogs are really, really good at making sure that you get up and doing small things because they love it. They love it and they take that small thing and they make it to them. It's like this huge thing and it makes you feel really accomplished for like putting in such a small activity. So that's one thing that I really love about dogs and always have.
3: My name is Steph. I run a company called Beta Dog Training, which is just north of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And I have been a professional dog trainer for seven years now. The company's been around for seven years. And I focus almost exclusively on behavior and also significant behavior issues. So most of my training, even when it comes to puppies, is trained from the standpoint of like how they can best live their life and how they can deal with their life or behavioral problems if that pops up from the dog's perspective, but also human perspective. And yeah, We've been at it a while and it's one of the things that I really like is the behavior niche. I prefer the behavior niche over sports and tricks and things. We do do sports and tricks and things, but the thing that we most focus on is the best way to work with the dog in front of you and the behavior they are showing and how they can work and adapt their life and how you can work and adapt with their life, but also how you can train a dog to adapt to your life. So yeah. How's your foot by the way? Didn't I see you? Okay. I talked to you and then I saw that TikTok like seven hours later. And I was like, oh, how's your dog? And you were like, you know, she's getting or, yeah, getting real big. And then like six hours later, you were like, My dog broke my foot. <laughs> I gotta tell you, like, I am so, so
0: grateful for going the route of like finding a trainer from day one, really leaning into teaching with a focus towards energy level management. Like teaching relaxation, teach like the fact that we use the playpen, like all this stuff, because as I predicted, like she got big so fast and she went from, oh, if it's not working, you can just pick her up or you can just do this to like, you can't do that anymore. Like she is only six months
3: old and she's
0: huge and she's powerful and like.
3: And the other part of that is like, everybody kind of focuses on like, first off, I'll be able to manhandle my puppy. So they focus all their training with that. So the other thing is they focus on the part of them being able to manhandle the dog. And as soon as you do something, because nobody anticipates breaking a foot, getting in a car accident, anything. And I'm like, yes, right now you're like, well, I can just pick her up to put her in the car. I can just pick her up to put her in the crate. And I'm like, but what happens if all of a sudden you get really hurt? What all like my mother's had multiple spinal surgeries. So everything in my life has always been geared towards like, okay, physically you can do stuff right now, but by tomorrow, literally tomorrow, maybe you won't be able to. Life is long.
0: Like I was talking to another trainer and we were talking about like, you know, how do you know when, whether your lifestyle is right for a dog or if you have a dog, what, you know, how do I know if I'm providing right for it? And one of the things that she said that I really don't hear a lot of dog trainers talk about, she was like, I mean, the thing is, is like, life is really long. Like things might be hard or not ideal now, but like you know, they could totally improve in the future. You could be in a different place in the future. But I think the opposite is also true where like anyone can become disabled and anyone could, you know, you could get a dog now and think, Oh no big deal it's just me and this dog and then what if you have children in 8 years
3: and the dog is still around you know and people don't anticipate training for their life to change in any dramatic way they anticipate maybe and they always anticipate it, that it will be a move up which is unfortunately just not how life goes so people anticipate that they will be able to move to a house there will be an acreage instead of the town home they're in and in reality that might be back to an apartment. So they don't train with the anticipation of being like, well one day I might have to be in an apartment, one day I might have kids, one day I might become disabled, one day I might have roommates. Like one day my brother-in-law could pass away, they could be in a car accident I might inherit his kids. Like, yeah, there are people who are like, well I don't intend to have kids so my dog doesn't need that. And I'm like, but you may come in contact with kids. And what bothers me is not when people are like, no, that won't happen. Well, then I'll just, I won't own the dog. And I'm like, I understand that. But what is your plan for if someone comes to visit? Like I understand being like my life will be A or B, but what happens if for a weekend someone is there? What is your management plan for a very temporary piece of time? And people don't have the temporary piece of time and they don't anticipate that their life could in any way not be this state or this state, and that it will always go up this way. It will never backtrack.
0: So if someone has disabilities, whether they're mental, physical, emotional, or they have mental health issues, and they're thinking about if they should get a dog or, you know, would a dog be helpful to them, whether it's the service dog route or just the pet route, what would you have someone think through both in choosing breed size temperament? And then what would you have them focus
3: on in training? So, I mean, yes, breed size temperament, but the first thing I would do is make a list of the things in like humans that annoy you. You know, not everybody has lived with a dog, but so not everybody anticipates what things a dog may do that annoy you. But I'm like, okay, let's say you've lived with roommates. Let's say you've lived with people. What annoys you about people? Do you really hate mouth breathers? Do you hate when people make lots of noises? Do you hate when they like... Like there's a small couch. You're sitting on the couch, and they're just all over the couch with you. Are they sitting on the other end? Like, make a list of the things that in humans would annoy you, and then yes, right. And it's like uh, people that are just hyperactive. They what, they're they want to talk to you 24 seven. They want to look at you 24. You want to come home from work. You want to sit on the couch and vibe. And they're like, Hey, how was your day? What did you do? What do you want for dinner? Like, go get a border collie. Like, what do you want out of a roommate? Because most people have an idea of what they want out of a roommate. With a dog, they're willing to, because it's a dog in their head, they immediately forgive a lot of things. They're like, oh, well, you know, my dog would never do that. Dogs don't eat loud. Dogs don't breathe loud. Dogs do things. And I'm like, first off, dogs only do things when you train them to do things. But second off, let's pick a dog that naturally would do some of those things, right? So yes, breed, size, temperament, but a lot of those things also involve beyond that, what those habits are that you're like, hey, I'm not interested in. If you really don't like mouth breathing, chewing noises, all that stuff, brachy breeds, like brachyphilic, the smoosh faces, like pugs and like Frenchies and stuff, they may not be for you. I got an excellent french bulldog cross she's adorable she's lovely that's staying with us right now my god the noises she makes when she breathes she's the cutest loveliest socialist like she's lovely she's a lovely little dog but when she's just walking around she makes noises just breathing she makes noises snoring she makes a lot of interesting noises while eating and i'm like those are some things where i'm like that might not be a thing that people like when you're talking about shedding It's not like, hey, first off, do you like short hair or long hair? Like with long hair, grime can build up in coat. So even if you like a long-haired dog, maybe you only like them when they're well-groomed. Have you pet a long-haired dog that has not been well-groomed? Is that something that you're willing to do? Because some people do not like bathing dogs. And if you can't, can you hire a groom? If you like short-haired dogs, that's super cool. But like, again, they still have a bit of maintenance. But then also just the shedding. Like, are you someone that is genuinely bothered? You run a vacuum around your floor every day, right? Like, you like your house to be super neat and tidy. Oh my God, drooling. So one of my super big, I actually can't handle it. I'm a dog trainer and I do deal with it at work.
0: I'm someone who happens to believe that the chore of feeding myself is one of the most annoying care tasks. And that's why I really like Factor. And when I say I really like Factor, I mean, they shipped me some food and told me to eat it and make an ad. And I not only did that, but then I went back and spent my own money and bought more of them. And I can't wait till the box gets here. That's because Factor really does make eating easier. And this was on the heels of a doctor's appointment where I got very strict instructions to give my body better nutrients. So wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. And they actually do taste good. You'll get over 35 different options a week to choose from. And even I, a very picky eater, always can find something that I like. I love that they are two-minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factors' restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. They all take two minutes in the microwave. Snacks, smoothies, breakfast, dinner. You can discover a wide variety of easy options. Sign up and save now. We've done the math. Factor is actually less expensive than takeout and every meal is a dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. My own dietitian was stoked when I told her that I had made this decision. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast upscale options done easily. So head over to factormeals.com slash struggle 50 and use code struggle 50 to get 50% off your first box and two free wellness shots per box while the subscription is active. That's code struggle 50 at factormeals.com slash struggle 50 to get 50% off your first box and two free wellness shots per box while the subscription is active. Even my husband says this is the best he's ever tried. And we've tried a lot of these. Is 2024 bringing exciting or unexpected changes to your life? Here's a secret weapon to help you face those challenges with more confidence. A great term life insurance policy. I can't believe that I am 37 years old and I am excited about life insurance, but life comes at you fast. I feel like yesterday I was 25 and I wasn't thinking about stuff like this. But when my husband and I got married and we started having kids, it was one of the first conversations that he brought up. Really, Fabric by Gerber Life makes it simple to protect your family's financial future so you can focus on what's ahead, knowing your family is protected if something else unexpected happens. And I feel like I sleep better at night knowing that if something were to happen to he or I, That the other one could take care of our family. Fabric by Gerber Life was designed by parents for parents to help you get high quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. It's all online and on your schedule. No appointments, scheduling, or piles of paperwork. Just apply when it's convenient for you. You could go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. So don't be somebody who finds when tragedy strikes, you're wishing that you would have made this choice. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meet Fabric.com slash struggle. That's meatfabric.com slash struggle. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash struggle. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company. Not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions.
4: Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.
0: So I'm here with Joel Harrison, another dog trainer that I respect and follow, and we're going to talk about tips for neurodivergent dog owners. Joel, thank you for being here.
5: Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun watching you come into the world of the dog owners and be so visual with your journey. It's been fun.
0: Thanks. So one of the things that you have said before that I feel like my audience would really benefit from is you talk about how so many times when you get into, especially the crowds that are very pro-dog, very into dogs, that there tends to be this message that it is morally good to value the dog over yourself and how for a lot of people that learns that it tends to get us burnt out and then we can't anymore. And you have said before, it's better to give your dog a consistent 60% effort than an inconsistent pattern of a hundred percent and then nothing and then a hundred percent and then burning out and then feeling guilty and then, you know, doing all the things. And I'm curious if you can just talk a little bit about that, things that you've seen in people and from your experience.
5: Yeah. So- I find that we, dogs are better than us usually, right? They can hold themselves together. They're kinder. They're just, you know, overall, we kind of don't deserve them. And one of the things that I think that people that really understand their dogs and understand how great dogs can be is they want to give them the world. They want everything to be for them all the time and they don't take any time for themselves. And if we pretend like so many of us neurodivergent do that tomorrow we're just going to wake up and be somebody completely different and that we're going to get up early and do the meditation and go for the walk and the workout and you know reduce the amount of our bad thing and and we're just going to knock it out of the park. Right. And we're not realistic with that understanding. And so being more realistic and going, okay, I can dedicate to, you know, maybe not changing my time to get up two hours early, but maybe I can do 10 minutes to make sure that I give them that consistent time that they need to go run around before I have to leave. You know, it's very similar to making smaller changes consistently so that we'll actually do them. And then it kind of butts up against that idea of being kind to yourself as much as the dog, as much as everybody else of like, it's okay to not be perfect. It's okay for your dog to want something and not get it, right? It's okay to take as, a morning As my dog off. howls in the background.
0: I don't know if y'all can hear that, but <laughs> she's literally howling from her crate downstairs
5: because she doesn't want to be alone. And like, that's okay. Sometimes we just have to go like, hey, I need a moment for me. I'm not going to be any better for you if I go down there and let Your stress become my stress, so I'm going to finish my shower, getting ready, my moment, whatever I need, and then I'll be with you in a moment, and that's okay. Mm. Have you ever
0: had to tell, I feel like most of the time when people come to a dog trainer, the story is like, okay, the dog trainer needs to give all these exercises and all these things to do, and okay, you're not doing enough for your dog, you got to take your dog out more. Have you ever had to tell someone, hey, you're doing too much?
5: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because especially kind of bleeds into the way that I train, where like I want the dog to be more independent and be able to go out and do their own thing, right? And be able to make their own decision about what's happening in their environment instead of, oh God, there's a dog coming, getting it down right now, right? And so I am often telling people less. In fact, I think that one of the first things that I sent that I like commented on one of your videos, you were like my puppy's 12 weeks old and she can go boom, 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 you know, do this and that and this and that and this and that and this and that. And I was like, Sounds like you're doing awesome. Are you remembering to have some fun? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Are I think remember- it's so true of having ADHD that you hyper fixate and you want to do all the things. And I also think that if you watch any content about dog training, it's just these tiny snippets of someone's day or routine that took them years to accomplish. And so it makes it seem like dog training is about, you know, the obedience drills and, and things like that. And there really is so much more to it. It's just not interesting it's like, it's boring stuff. And so people don't make videos about it.
5: Yeah, right. It's boring stuff. And then when we do make videos about it, you also get that, well, I've had two dogs in my life and I did this tiny little ancillary thing that didn't really matter. That And, and like, so I have the answer. So, you know, everybody has their own answers and everybody and dogs are awesome. So most of the time those little answers work. It's just using those one or two little off answers for everybody, you know, and it does make those pieces of content not very exciting. So they don't get made very often as we either get argumentative pushback or like, you know, I know that if I didn't let my dog do that 30 days in a row, it would be better. But, oh, man, that's a lot of work. That takes me doing
0: Yeah. And, you know, everybody has an opinion and there are some things that can be kind of controversial. And, you know, when we talk about being kind to your dog and being respectful of your dog, I think sometimes it's difficult to sort of see the long game. Like, you know, you talk about the importance of a dog being leash trained, kennel trained and tether trained. And I think for some of us, that can be hard because we think, oh, like confinement, like put them on a tether, like, which if you don't know what that is, tether is literally like a leash that's tied to something, right? Whether it's a stake in the yard or something like that. And I was just watching TikTok yesterday and this woman who had sled dogs was kind of explaining her setup. And each of her dog they all lived outside. They each had their own little doghouse and they were tethered on a chain. And people were kind of losing their minds about how mean it is that it's on a chain and how unfair it is. And she made this lengthy explanation of like, well, A, this is how I keep my dogs safe. It's the Alaskan wilderness. B, they're fine like they have all their needs met. We, They're sled dogs, they're working dogs. We go running for miles and miles. And I do think it's interesting that like when you have a big heart for your dog, sometimes it's hard to understand how important and in the long run, how kind it is for your dog to be trained around those things. And I, you know, when we were talking before, you said basically like you don't want to explode on your dog because they don't have the ability to leave you alone because you never taught them. You know, with those items, how they could be safe and confined, how they can go away from it, how they can turn off. Can you talk a little bit about that?
5: Yeah. I mean, I think so. For me, I can boil almost all my training down to like one concise idea, and that's if my dog knows how to handle their energy, then they're always going to have a place to live, right? If I have a dog that understands when we go outside, we throw the ball and that's where we get out of the energy. And then when we go inside and I sit on the couch, you come up and you sit on the couch next to me. Some dogs just get that naturally, right? And some dogs really, really, really need help through that process. One of the places where I see the biggest clash in owners and dogs consistently is that the owner will take the dog outside, throw the ball a little bit, and then the dog will come back inside and the dog will be like, hey, let's go, let's play, let's keep doing it. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. And it doesn't take very long for that dog to get annoying to that owner. And then that owner goes, stop it, you know, and elevates themselves for that brief moment. And even if that is just a, I'm disappointed rather than an, I'm mad, it can still have a lot of impact on the relationship between the owner and the dog. And if instead we took a little bit of time to go, Hey, sometimes I'm not going to have the spoons for you. Sometimes I'm not going to be able to take you with me. Sometimes I just needs you to be over there away from me, not on me, not on my guests, whatever. And if we don't teach our dogs that along the way, then when that moment finally comes along, they can't even handle it. And some folks are separating their dogs at a time where the dogs never get separated. And like, I have friends over, so you can't be jumping and nipping and acting like a Yahoo to them. So I'm going to put you in the back room. Well, that dog's never had the experience of separation or very seldom had the experience of separation for their owners. So this is a massive, massive event for the dog. When if we would have educated and trained the dog and gave them the tolerance for this all along the way, it would just be Tuesday.
0: It's interesting that like, there's so much over moralizing of dog ownership. And I get it. Like there are people out there that are pieces of shit that like are not caring for their dogs. Like dogs are sentient beings with feelings and emotions and needs and they deserve, you know, a happy life. And so like obviously mistreating a dog is a moral issue and not caring about your dog is a moral issue. But I feel like we over moralize all these other things. Like You know, if somebody gets a puppy and they're six months in, they're seven months in, they're nine months in, and they're going, this is not getting better. This was maybe a mistake, but like, they feel like there would be so much shaming if they were to be like, I've made a mistake, I need to rehome my dog, right? Or, you know, if I think a lot about like the adopt, don't shop movement, like people often get shamed for the idea of going and getting a dog from a breeder, like, an, and I'm not talking about like a pet store or a puppy mill. I'm talking about like a breeder, but how does that interplay with someone that has a disability? Like, yeah. And like, what are the issues with like shelter dogs that we don't think about from a perspective of disability?
1: Yeah. I think a big part. So I have three rescues. My first three dogs were rescues and I used to be militantly adopt, don't shop. Sometimes my Facebook memories will pop up and it will be like, oh, you want to buy a puppy? Well, here, choose which of these shelter dogs you want to kill. And I look at my dog that I bought from a breeder and I'm like, which one did we kill, Pretzel? (laughs) Which, (laughs) Which one when I picked you out? Which one of these dogs did I not bring home because of that? But like, it was, I thought on it a lot and I looked at rescue dogs and I thought about it a ton. And for me, it was not even from a disability standpoint, it was from a standpoint, I'd already had this conflict within my house One, I I could not live through it again. I could not do it again. And two, I was looking into getting another large dog. And the conflict was between what my large dog and my small dogs, which was easier to manage because small dogs are just generally easier to manage. They're smaller. You can pick them up. And fights between two large dogs could be a lot worse. And my small dogs didn't aggress back, so it was easy to like stop those conflicts. So I decided to go to a breeder because I knew that if it didn't work, it would not be a thing for me to send that puppy back. If at any point, still, it was not working with him, he would go back to a good place. And I know that. And so if somebody, you know, has a disability where it maybe it's progressive. Maybe they don't know. They don't know if they're going to be able to continue to take care of this dog long term. And I know a lot of people would say, Oh, well, then don't get the dog if you're not a hundred percent positive. There are no guarantees. You know, you could be perfectly able bodied. You cannot guarantee you're not going to get in a car accident tomorrow and possibly have to rehome your dog. So if somebody has, you know, where the t- scales are tipped a little bit, where possibly they're not sure, am I going to be okay for the full lifetime of this dog? Or is there going to be a point where I no longer will be able to care for them? Going to a breeder, a really good breeder, is a really good bet that you're going to have a community to fall back on. Even if not just that breeder, other... I talked to my puppy owner group chat, two and a half years later, all of our puppies are no longer puppies. We talk like every single day. (laughs) Right, like if something happened to me, I know Pretzel's going to be fine. He's got twenty people who love him just as much as I do. Right, like I don't know has- that
0: everybody knows that every ethical breeder that I've ever known, like they have like a lifetime policy that they do not want that dog in the shelter. Like if anything happens, if you die, if you get sick, if you just decide you don't want the dog anymore, like they sometimes it's even contractual. Like you're required to bring the dog back to them. So that they can rehome the dog with someone else.
1: Yep. Any ethical breeder will always take their dogs back. And then, even in the rare event that something does happen, so let's say that my breeder is an old man, you know, if something were to happen to him, then the breed community is there. Especially if you have, like, I have a, a rare breed. So the breed community is a little bit smaller, but there's a whole, it's very community based within the like ethical breeding world where there are a lot of people to support you. And it's everybody's job to keep our dogs out of shelters. And it's very collective of we are keeping our dogs, any dogs born into this community, out of shelters.
0: And, you know, shelters are extremely traumatizing. And I, at on some level, people know that because I think that's where some of the heartstrings get pulled about, like, we need to rescue these dogs out of this traumatic environment. But where I don't think some people think to apply that truth is that you're not just like rescuing an animal from a traumatic environment and then like we live happily ever after. Like you are rescuing an animal that has what amounts to post-traumatic stress disorder. And you don't know to what degree that animal will be affected by that. And It might be that 75% of people out there, that's fine. Like they have the kind of lifestyle, they have the kind of personality, they have the kind of setup in their environment, in their home that they can deal with a little bit of unknown factor, right? But I can think of so many situations where like it's really important to the health and safety of not only everyone in your family, but of that dog that you know what its temperament's going to be, you know what its size is going to be. You know, like if you have small children, I mean, if you have a child with a disability, if you have a disability, if you have even just like, you know, you live in an apartment. You live in a, you know, nine-story walk-up or
1: whatever. Like I just yeah, I was going to say even, you know, how many people I know who were like college students, they live in an apartment, they have a, a limited income. They go and get a little lab puppy from the shelter. and in six months, it's a 90 pound bully mix. And now you have for the next 15, 16 years, because those shelter bully mixes live forever, <laughs> you are going to have a really hard time. And I say this as someone who had a bully mix when I was 19 and trying to rent, trying to find a place to live. My life was so limited. The things that I could do with my life were so limited. And now I had a life that I had dedicated to dogs. I had already decided that I wanted to do that when I got her. If I wanted to be a writer. If I wanted to go and move to LA and like go and do and have these bigger dreams, I would not have been able to do that with this dog.
0: Because of all the breed restrictions that apartments usually have. And if you're already limited on apartments, whether by income or maybe criminal history, any of that, like, yeah, that's a big deal. I know like my husband and I went back and forth for a long time when we decided to get a dog where I insisted that we get some from a breeder. And he was like, no, we have to rescue a shelter dog. And one of the things that I don't think people know is like the Adopt Don't Shop movement started as a movement against puppy mills where these companies would literally keep dogs in cages. And like some of the worst ones, they would literally like shit in the cage and it would just fall down to the dog underneath it. Like they were on wire cages and they would pump these cute little puppies out into the stores Right. Where they're sitting behind the class and charge you $5,000 for it. And they weren't, they often had health problems. The actual breeding dogs lived miserable lives in cages. Like, so we started saying don't shop, literally don't shop as in don't go to pet shops, not don't pay money for a dog. And so somehow that got pushed into meaning adopt dogs from shelters, don't buy them from breeders. But like none of the issues that we have with pet shops are issues that we have with ethical breeders that are typically like raising dogs in their homes and checking for temperament and checking for health and have these lifelong you know, bring back policies. And so it's wild to me that this adopt don't shop is still this like shaming club that people use against people that want to make an informed decision to go to a breeder.
1: And it was also... The slogan also came around at a very different time when the dogs in shelters were very different because we euthanized a lot more freely. So euthanasia rates have gone way down. And part of that is that we are doing more people are adopting, like just flat out more people are adopting dogs. But euthanasia rates have also gone way down. Also spay, more people are spaying and neutering their dogs. So we've got less stray dogs running around. But we've also gotten a lot more lenient about the behavior of the dogs that are getting adopted out. There is significantly less euthanasia for, which I think is a good thing that there is less euthanasia for minor behavior problems. I don't think that a dog that bark, growls, lunges on a leash sometimes deserves to be euthanized. I think that can be a perfectly fine... There's very few dogs that don't do that, quite frankly. But because of that, you walk into a shelter today versus even 20 years ago, you are going to see a lot of dogs that have behavior issues. You're going to see almost every single dog have no cats, no kids, no other dogs on their run carts.
0: And that's if they're telling the truth. I've run into some like foster situations where people have such bleeding hearts for dogs that believe that no dog, every dog deserves a second chance, that they will flat out lie about bite history, attack history. It's really scary. And I do think like it's not to say that, you know. I think there are ways to also like minimize your risk and choose the right dog if you want to go the shelter route, so I actually ended up getting a rescue dog, but the reason that I was more comfortable with it is because it was a a puppy that had been in a home, so it had been fostered it had never been in a shelter environment she was What we thought at the time was like 50% Rottweiler, 50% Catahoula. We now know that there's like some coon hound and stuff, but she is 50% Rottweiler. And then she's like Catahoula and cattle dog and and like one other thing. But I will say that like knowing what breeds I was dealing with, like I could at least then go like look up what kind of breeds those were, what kind of sizes those were. And it's not like I could get an exact answer for what I was going to get temperament and size wise, but it was certainly more predictable than, you know, picking a random mutt puppy that you have no idea what's going on there. And so I think those are also things people can think about is, you know, sometimes you can get a little bit, there's like at least a dominant breed in there that maybe you can know more about, or you can go for, you know, one that's been fostered in a home. This one had been fostered in a home with children that were my children's age. And so, I mean, I still had to risk that she was telling me the truth about the dog's behavior, but I also one time had trainer say that if you want to increase your odds of getting a dog that has a really like sweet temperament, no aggression issues, no whatever, they said, you've got to go shop at a high kill shelter. And it was very counterintuitive because I was like, I thought we weren't like, we don't like them, you know, (laughs) like go away. We only patronize the, you know, no kill shelters. And he was like, well, what, what you don't understand is that a high kill shelter is like the first dogs they're going to euthanize are the dogs with behavior problems. So like if a dog is still around, you know that there probably is a high probability that it has no aggression issues because they are quick to put down dogs that have aggression issues. Yeah. And
1: that's kind of along the lines of what I'm saying about how different it was people who have always adopted. And I know a lot of people who have always adopted who are like, it's way different now. I mean, even You know, 14 years ago when I adopted my little dog, yeah, he had issues and he actually does bite (laughs) or he did bite, Um, (laughs) but he's not like, you know, mauling people. He's not going to seriously injure you. He's just a little terrier and they tend to be like that, but I've certainly seen dogs coming. And now I'm lucky to live near a shelter that has a good behavior program. So even though they are adopting out a lot of dogs with behavior issues, they are. Very honest about that.
0: But yeah, there certainly are, like, so if you're thinking about what a dog needs. I can tell you that as a just like regular dog owner, the messaging that trickles out to the average person is like dogs need exercise. That's really what like was my main thing is like, okay, is this dog need to walk every day? Is it a dog that needs to run? Like my only idea when you say like pick a dog for your lifestyle is knowing that like some dogs need a lot of exercise and other dogs don't. And in my head, exercise was walking like taking a walk or going to the park and running. And the more that I've learned about dogs, the more I've realized like that's maybe too simplistic of a thought. So like if I am a person out there and I'm looking at my abilities and I'm looking at my desires, like what do dogs need and how do I think about whether I can do that or want to do that?
2: Yeah. There are two main categories that I like to break it up into and that's physical exercise and mental exercise. So I can tell you right now that the whole exercise thing came from Cesar Milan because he was so popular, and his big thing is like, oh, I'm going to like go rollerblading with my dog, and if you just rollerblade with your dog, that's a good way to get them to run, and a tired dog is a good dog, but kind of as we've evolved in dog training, what we're finding is that physical exercise isn't the only thing that matters. Some dogs prefer mental stimulation. And I would go so far as to saying, like, I think that a lot of people think of German Shepherds as this high energy breed. They see him doing, like, police work, military work. But my German Shepherd, if I give him a puzzle to solve, like a mental puzzle, they have things that are called food puzzles, where you put some food in some kind of device and then they have to slide some stuff around and get the food out. I let him do something like that for, like an hour and he's just wiped whereas if i take him out and i do you know i could do two or three hours of just straight fetch with him him running back and forth full speed at a full sprint and he would just keep going all day just nonstop. but what he really really needed to get him in a like healthy place was mental stimulation and i think that's where a lot of people are missing the exercise portion because when you hear exercise you think hey like We need to run or like we need to walk and walking is good if that's what you have time for because walking does, walking actually kind of covers both the mental and the physical. You do a little bit of walking, which is physical exercise. That's good. You're getting out, you're stretching your legs, but the mental for them is is sniffing. So make sure that if you do take your dog for a walk, you are letting them sniff and stuff like that. Being able to sniff around is really, really great mental enrichment for them. But what I will say about walks is there are typically better things to do because walks are kind of like. A general thing that covers everything. And so if your dog needs more mental stimulation rather than physical stimulation, or your dog needs more physical stimulation than mental stimulation, uh, walks might not be the thing to do because, like I said, they're only, since it's kind of covering both things, it's not very good. It doesn't accelerate at working either of those things it just kind of generally covers them so if that's what you have time for that's a great thing to fall back on but definitely think about doing things like playing fetch with your dog getting a flirt pole to cover that physical energy doing things that get them to run and you not to run is good. So that's why, you know, because for me personally, I physically cannot run. I have a physical disability that prevents me from running any sorts of long distances. So the way that I make up for that is I teach my games. My dog's a clean game of fetch, and I tend to work things like a flirt pole with them. And if you don't know what a flirt pole is, if you've ever seen like a cat toy that has a toy hanging at the end of a stick, that's what a flirt pole is, except it's dog size. Yeah, it's huge. And I love them personally. I like people tag me in flirt pole videos all the time on TikTok because like, I guess I'm the flirt pole guy now. Um, but flirt poles are great because they accelerate on low input, from the human side and high output from the dog side. And those are always the kinds of activities that I'm looking for to help people. So whether you have a physical disability or, you know, your disability extends beyond the physical, there is an activity out there for you that will probably fit your needs.
0: Mm, That's so hopeful that like, there's so many ways to meet a dog's needs that you can find one that works with your lifestyle. Like so much of what I talk about, whether it's about doing your laundry or self-improvement or whatever, is like we tend to make plans based on like waking up being a completely different person tomorrow.
6: Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff.
7: Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.
0: What kind of training priorities should a person have if they're coming from a struggle care background? If I want to coexist peacefully with my dog, what do I need my dog to know how to do well if I know I'm going to have periods of struggle?
3: So we actually come at this from, in my world, in my mind, everyone has a struggle care phase whether they've hit it yet or not. So some people come in and they're like, I don't need to know this because I'm like, I just need to know sitting down because my life is perfect. And I'm like, that's cool. One day, one day it's going to happen. There are people that show up that already know that. They already know that there can be times where life is going to get really out of control or hard or not possible. So I train all dogs. I don't need to know anything about your background. I train all dogs when they come in with the background so that they have a training background of if your life completely falls apart, you have the ability to either have them adapt to change, deal with change, or be manageable in that scenario. So everything we do, we come at it from the beginning when they're puppies. The first thing we, we teach a, a lot of behaviors that focus on in like engagement and impulse control. So we focus a ton on impulse control, but more than anything, one of the things we do is we try and put those skills in when they're young that mean that their life can be adapted. So stuff like crate training is right away, and I do crate training a little overboard, I want them to be able to crate in a wire crate, in an airline crate, in a small room, in a big room, in your car, in your garage. I want them to be able to crate anywhere. I move my puppy's crate every week. Like, you'll crate over here, and then you'll crate over there, and then you'll crate over there, and then you'll spend, you will spend a night or two in the car in the summer because 100%, I travel with my dogs, I compete. We stay in the car sometimes. So, like, I make sure not only can you crate, I send my dogs to other people's houses to crate for the night. And I go, cool. Stick this puppy in your room, and just you're fine because they may have to go anywhere. I also make sure that they have a lot of place work, which is I think what you you call a behavioral down, which is just like they're on a tie back. I want my dogs to be super comfy with restraint on a tie back. And people go, well, I don't want my dog tied back. I'm like, first off, as a puppy, you do want your dog in tie back. Second off, there's so many things through your life. That you don't, not even when your life goes bad, but through your life, that you will need to just put your leash down and like run back to your car and grab something. Put your leash down and run in the porta potty at your kid's soccer game. You know, tie your leash up to the post as you run in and get the mail. That is stuff that the dog doesn't necessarily know how to do. Oh, you got real excited. Oh, I did because it's so funny because I was just on Facebook yesterday
0: and there's this, uh, group that I'm in. It's like a neighborhood group and this mom, put a Facebook post and it said, hey, I know this is weird last minute, but I'm out with my dog. And I just got a phone call that my kid is sick at school and needs modium. Can I drop my dog at someone's house? Because I? it was, you know, because it's hot down here. And because she did not know how to be able to run into a store, get medication or be able to walk into the school, drop off medication. And what do I do with my dog? And I just thought of that. And I think it's so true, this idea that, you know, you might think, well, I just need my dog to live in the backyard and be fine and be happy. But like life is so different and so long. And we're actually preparing to travel. We're going to drive about four hours to my dad's house and stay with him. And I am so grateful that our dog is crate trained because I know that when we get there, after she kind of sniffs around or whatever, like I can put her in the crate, even just there in the living room and she will be able to settle and go to sleep and have that break, that stress break. And I want to be able to visit my in-laws, but their house is a different kind of dog house than my dad's house, right? Like there are lots of people there. There are older people. There's a pool. For, and she's not ready to go there because what we know is that's the kind of house where you need to be able to go on a leash and lay down and chill. Go outside of the bathroom, come back down, lay down and chill. Like that would be the appropriate behavior for interacting at that house. And it's so much cooler when you get to do those things with your dog. And even if you don't want to, like, you know, this is obviously elective. We could get a dog. But like, what if your parent dies and you have to go to another city or whatever it is? Yes.
3: So the thing is, like, the crate training, tie back work, all that stuff, I really like because it teaches your dog how to do all these things if your life changes or if it doesn't because you can utilize them in your own life. But the other thing it does is, like, if all of a sudden I personally like dogs that are a lot, and a lot of the time that is the best thing in the world, and sometimes it is not. So the other thing is my dogs are very much Velcro-y. They are very large. They are very close to me. And there are some times where I'm like, okay... No, like you just, you cannot be on top of me right now. That's not a thing. The ability to put them in a crate, the ability to put them on a tie back. because yes, my older dogs, I can just be like, go lay down, they will go lay down. When they are one, they don't, no, that's not, they're like, I'm super excited, you are finally home from work. That is not a concept I'm even going to pretend to understand, I am on top of you. And if that behavior is allowed to continue, it's going to frustrate you, it's going to frustrate them, because they're really not doing anything bad or wrong, that's what you would do the other six days of the week, but that one day you just can't do it. So do you set it up so that it, they did something wrong and you get upset and everything? Or do you just go, okay, cool. You're familiar with being on a tieback. You're familiar with being in a crate. Here, go in a crate, right? The other thing is people go, okay, so we also, we do a bunch of skills when they're very young that mean that yes, if your life changes, but also if your abilities change, you are okay. So stuff like treadmill training. So everybody goes, okay, cool. I can't get out of bed this week. So there's a couple options. There are a couple options where you can pay your way out of that as long as you've set it up in advance. The other way, though, is like you don't have that much money. You can train your way out of it. You can treadmill train your dog, right? And, you know, does it replace a walk? No, but for the week that you can't function, absolutely.
0: Okay, Steph, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate your contribution. Where can people find you if they want to follow you online? Where can they look up your company? To, you
3: know, Give us a little plug. So on TikTok, I believe I'm beta dog training. On Instagram, I'm pretty sure I'm beta trains. We are beta dog training on Facebook and we have a podcast where we talk about dog training stuff called Make It Weird, Dog Stuff and Occasional Nonsense. I love that.
0: So here's my, here's my last question for you. I expect that there's probably a lot of people out there that already have a dog and maybe they're going through a hard time and they're thinking to themselves, like, is my dog happy? Like, am I doing enough for my dog? Like, How do we know if our dogs are happy?
2: Okay, I've been thinking actually about this a lot. There's one thing that you can do is if you go online and you look up, there's something called a dog's emotional cup. And if you Google that and you go to the image section, it'll show you an infographic that says, hey, these are signs that your dog's cup may be running empty. This is how you can fill your dog's cup. Those kinds of things. And that's a pretty good indicator on whether your dog's happy. But when it comes to that, I say this. The type of people who are concerned about whether or not their dog is happy are the people that do not need to be concerned that their dog is happy. Because bad pet parents aren't asking if their dog is happy. And that's kind of the bottom line, right? The the bad pet parents aren't ever wondering, am I doing enough for my dog, right? And so if you care enough to be asking that question, I can almost guarantee you with 100% certainty that your dog is happy.
0: Well, those are all of my questions.
2: Okay, good. I, were they satisfactorily answered?
0: They were lovely. Yeah, I think it was a great conversation.
2: Good, I'm glad.
0: If people want to follow you on TikTok, where can they find you?
2: You can find me at Inside Out Dog Training.
0: I love it. Well, Aaron, thank you so much. And this has been a great conversation.
2: I loved it. Thanks for having me. I had a really great time. You had some really interesting questions. So I like talking about dog training from this perspective.
0: Let's the last thing I want to talk about is this idea of enrichment, which is something that like a word that I feel like I didn't hear when it was related to dogs 10 years ago. Maybe it was, but it just wasn't, I think, trickling out to like the average dog owner. And this was like, this really saved my bacon when we got a dog because You know, I wanted her to learn to be okay in her playpen by herself while we're kind of around doing things, but it wasn't. And I'm okay with her being a little distressed, but it was like, okay, but what is she supposed to do in there? Like, is she supposed to just sit? Here's a toy. She doesn't know how to play with those without me. So talk to me about the place for enrichment, specifically like enrichment that doesn't involve my involvement.
5: So like, first of all, yes. It is okay for your dog to be in another room in their kennel somewhere else with nothing to do. And in fact, the reason that that is such a scary idea for us to put the dog in the kennel and leave them in the kennel, excuse me, is because that sounds terrifying to us right? Like I've spent a lot of time in the mental health field for people, right? And one of the quotes that I always fall back on is like, all of man's problems could be solved by simply sitting quietly alone in a dark room. And like, I think for most people, like here's a chair, I'm going to turn off the light and I'm going to leave the room and you're going to sit there and there's no radio, there's no phone, there's no TV, just you and your thoughts. And that sounds terrifying, right? And so But so that, that's why I think that's so difficult for us. And I think it's a lot harder for us than it is for the dogs. Now, of course, the more high energy the dog has, the less they're going to want to sit still. And yes, in through the learning process, we want to help them out. And that's where you're on the right path where enrichments come in. And the other thing that enrichments do is like, give me the ability to go put the dog over there while I go take 10 minutes, right? Like, there's so many people that bring the dog in the bathroom with them. They say they can't take a shower without the dog in the bathroom. And I'm like, that is on my list of no ways. Like, this is my peaceful spot. You ain't coming in here and jumping on me, right? While I'm going to the bathroom. And so, like, if I have a dog that enjoys uh, food most often, more often if not, our, our enrichments are going to be food-based. But I can take a – they make lots of, of little – almost like treat dispensers that you can leave with your dogs. And I think a lot of people are familiar with like the classic Kong. It's, a little, uh, it's got like three little notches on it that make lots of sizes. Black ones are the ones for the dogs that can't ever, you know, stop chewing. Although my dogs can destroy the black ones. But most people have like a Kong and they give it to the dog and they're like, here you go. I don't really get it, right? It's supposed to be great they miss the fact that you can take some peanut butter or pumpkin or dog food or pretty much anything that is acceptable for your dog and you can put it inside that item. Take it a step further and freeze that item. Now I have frozen soft dog food inside this toy that is very difficult to destroy and I can then put that in my kennel with my dog and they can go to town on that for 20 minutes or so give or take more often than not the process of me leaving is the process that brings up the discomfort in the dog so hey here eat this frozen dog food for 20 minutes while I go put on my shoes my coat grab my keys leave the house jump in the car and leave and by that time I'm gone the dog has been dedicated to this idea for 20 minutes they're actually a little tired now they're in the kennel there's not much else to do cool They'll move forward and to take that now.
0: Yeah, we do. So Luna now gets a treat every time she goes into her kennel. And there's usually a little bully stick on a holder for her. But Mm -hmm. one of the things that we did when we first got her was that we got one of those. I don't think it was a Kong brand, but it was like that. And we had treat dispensers and we had snuffle mats and we had things like that. But we had this one specific one that we put peanut butter in. And the only time she got that one was in the kennel. And it was that exact same thing. Like it gave her something to do to preoccupy her, but she also began to associate like, when I go in this kennel, I get this great thing. And this is the only place that this must be a great place. If this is where the peanut butter comes out. And I think we did that for like two or three months until she was, it was easier for her to settle. And now, you know, it's like a a treat she can eat as soon as she gets in and she's got a little usually like a bully stick or something in there. But that was really helpful to like have one designated one that was like the real high priority one because like you said, she goes in, she not only has something to do, but she's got this really amazing food that's like spiking that dopamine and is associating with the kennel. And then she kind of tires herself out and then you're right, nothing to do, falls asleep. And now we put her in the kennel and she almost immediately falls asleep.
5: Yeah. Beautiful. And it is that history. Of reward of going in there and getting that every time. That is going to make going to the kennel, which which isn't the whole shebang on kennel training, but going in is usually the hardest part. And if I can get you excited about going in and because you know you're going to get something, you know it's going to be high value, then you're absolutely in the right direction there. Awesome.
0: Well, Joel, I can't thank you enough for coming and talking about Dog stuff with me. Can you tell people where they can find you online if they want to follow you, if they want to look you up?
5: Yeah. I mean, TikTok is the easiest place. It's just at Scoob and I, which sounds like Scoobandy, but it's not Scoobandy. It's Scoob and I, Scoobandi. S C O O B A N D I. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram if that's where you are. I just spend all of my time on TikTok. It's a lot. The people there seem to be a little bit nicer, if you can believe it. <laughs> yeah. So,
0: awesome. We'll um, have a great yeah, day and thank you so much.
5: Thank you, Casey. Appreciate it.
1: I think the, one of the coolest things about dogs is that they are a good community builder. Like my community is all dog people. <laughs> and they, a lot of dog people are very community focused. So that is the cool thing about it is a lot of people are willing to like reach out and bridge that gap when dogs are involved. That otherwise wouldn't be because they can act as kind of that or that bridge.
0: (laughs) Well, Ash, thank you so much. Um, Can you tell people where they can find you on social media if they want to follow you?
1: Yeah, if you want to follow me on social media, I am ash.andthepositivepups on TikTok and Instagram. And that's positive P-A-W-S. You can also find me at my website, positivepupsacademy.com. If you want to work with me, I have like a a membership. I have online classes, stuff like that. Again, that's positive P-A-W-S and then pups P-U-P-S.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. And to you at home, thank you so much for listening. I hope this was a helpful episode to you. And going to give you a little teaser that I'm also going to release a bonus episode this week with my personal dog trainer. We're going to talk about emotionally intelligent dog training. I picked my dog trainer because I had known him a long time and I really appreciated that his approach to training dogs Felt very similar to some of my thoughts about parenting, honestly. So keep an eye out for that. I will drop that later this week.
7: I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast What Fresh Hell Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a
3: where are
1: my
7: kids kind of mom. <laughs>